Hello and welcome back to Diminishing Returns, where we're back talking about James Bond now. Um, at this point, we would have expected to have been talking about No Time to Die, but uh, that has not happened. So we're uh, on, we're tr- you know trekking on with our look through the Bond series. Um, I'm Calvin, and with me are, as always, Sol, James Bond. And Alan. Uh, hello. Uh, hello, Calvin. I can, can I just say, well done. You're being very brave um, about the whole no time to die situation. I, uh, what, how am I being brave? You just, you haven't broken down. You, you've carried oh, on with oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have, yeah, well. you have, uh, you haven't left your house in six weeks though. I'm not worried about that. Is that, <laughs> that is a, some sort of protest. Well, to be to be honest, Calvin's kind of come out of this um, situation pretty well off, I'd say, as a Bond fan. No Time to Die is going to be one of the first blockbusters that we can sort of get back into going to see, realistically. No, don't tell Christopher Nolan. Yeah, well, yeah. Most of, most of the big films we were looking forward to have been delayed to until 2021. Is, is Bond still coming out in November, or have they chucked that in? No, it's still scheduled for November. Um, I, I, I guess if they were going to move it again, obviously the longer they put off moving it, the more it costs them. But I, I figured sort of like by September, if things are back to some kind of situation where people can actually pay to go into cinemas, then it'll still be out. There were some documents released recently that said it's the most expensive Bond film ever made. Um, It's got this huge budget, and that's not including, apparently they spent like $30 million in pre-production when it was going to be Danny Boyle's film. And then it it completely... They were building sets. They would... uh, The production designer did an interview and he was like, yep, no, we were building sets in Canada. Uh, We had a sort of the script more or less sorted and then they decided that they weren't going to go with Danny Boyle and his writer. So they completely changed everything. Which obviously cost them a lot of money. So people have been calling for like, oh, just release it on video on demand or whatever. And it's like, no, that's definitely not going to happen. Uh, (laughs) For a movie like this or Fast and the Furious or, you know, Top Gun, any kind of those big action spectacles that people have been looking forward to, they won't be going to streaming unless it's like very, very dire circumstances. Yeah, the only reason they're doing that with anything at the minute is i mean there were a few films up front that did it but they were mostly films that had already been out in the cinema and they were just cutting yeah like the, invisible man yeah they were just cutting yeah, sonic the, the hedgehog so they'd had their like box office gross and their opening weekends and everything and then they just were cutting the the extra bit of time in the cinema short to you know Mm. Well, we might as well capitalize on people needing stuff to watch at home and being willing to pay a premium to see it early and everything. And then they obviously thought, mm. well, we we're like not cash flow positive at the minute because nothing's coming in. Let's cut our losses and and just dump a few kids movies out that you know some Scoop. some families will just dump money into keeping their family entertained. So they've got Trolls World Tour and Scoob. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're already having trouble with that because 
Trolls World Tour, there, there's a whole ongoing situation now where the key cast members all had things written into their contract that said, well, if the film makes over this much at the box office, we'll get bonuses. And obviously there's been no box office, but then Universal's ah. making a huge song and dance about, oh, it's the most profitable straight-to-video opening for a film of all time, and we made all this money doing it. So they're like, right, well, that counts as the box office. Give us some money. <laughs> but then they're like, well, no, we were just putting a brave face on things and actually... Like, it's still the nowhere near even... what the box office Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's nowhere near turning a profit. Bear in mind that we would have had all the cinema money and then this film would have opened on like digital anyway. Mm. Um, so it, it's it's very it's a really messy situation and yeah, there's just you know people are lamenting the death of the cinema system and so on and I'm sure this is going to speed along the process by which we end up with only big blockbuster movies being given the time of day in the cinema, but. Mm. You know, that doesn't mean we're going to start not getting big blockbuster movies mm. in the cinema. It's a huge revenue stream for them. Mm. Calvin, you yes. you work for an unnamed children's television business. Uh, yes. Do you, if, if, is it completely shut down? No. <laughs> is it, is it, are they still managing to produce things? Or, well, or? animation is... Just people sat at home <laughs> drawing stuff. Well, pretty, well, much. pretty much. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah, once people can kind of adapt to it and move the equipment, and obviously it's maybe a bit more hassle, you need to get the director on a video call or whatever to have him look at the animator's work and all, all this kind of stuff. But so long as people have this equipment at their homes, theoretically, yes, it can just keep on going. The problem is getting the actors. Uh, but even then you can, you know, d- dispatch sound recordists with equipment. And yeah, so animation is in one of the better states, really, out of everything. With something like that, I know this is a total tangent, but with something like that, where you're working quite well ahead of the time, could you get your actors to do their voiceover, you know, send them the equipment, they do it in the back room or whatever. And then, you know, six months down the line, you could always re-record some stuff and do it like a ADR. Or is that once you've drawn it, it, it looks mm. shit if you try and re-record it? The lip sync would probably be off. I mean, how, how a lot of the stuff that um, we've been doing is just... Um, the actors just basically record on even on their phones, just like whatever equipment they can get. And then that's just like scratch. And then the animatics are done to that. And then it goes to animation. And the hope is that they can put off the lip sync aspect of it for long enough that um, yeah. they'll actually be just able to do the what they properly. can while they can. Yeah. Yeah. But there's at so. least some indication of the performance that the actor would give. So mm. yeah. 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 You can do the eye. So yeah. that's it. You're going to have all yeah. these. <laughs> We might get to a point where there's some animated series debuting in 2021 where the characters suspiciously just don't have mouths, or they all have they all have big <laughs> moustaches. Fireman Sam. <laughs> yeah. um, Calvin, in in all uh, in all seriousness, I, I wanted to ask you about this. Well, first of all, has a James Bond movie ever been nominated for Best Picture? Ever? Oh, no. No. Right. Well, do you think this is the one? Because if if this is a <laughs> there's, there's, only, there's only like well, that's what I know. Genu- genuinely, <laughs> like the Oscars have said, they're they're changing their rules so that films released digitally do count now for this year as a one-off. But even so, 
everything's been delayed. Like, even accounting Mm. for all that, nothing's coming out. So if this James Bond film, if No Time to Die is as good as Casino Royale and Skyfall, if it's as well-received as those... I mean, it's it's got a really solid chance at a Best Picture nomination. You know, you're actually not... Yeah, that that hadn't occurred to me, but yeah. If it does end up being as well-received as those other two, then there's a... Because I remember even when Casino Royale and Skyfall came out, there was sort of rumblings of, oh, well, maybe they could, you know, yeah, uh, tip the scales. But yeah, if, they, if there's just nothing else there, then yeah, it could actually end up getting a nomination. That's quite interesting. I mean, based on what's come out this year so far, it could win, frankly, but I'm sure there'll be some (laughs) prestige dramas uh, dropped out digitally at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, all you you real kind of Oscar-baiting things, they'll do a basically a pretend release in December somewhere. Yeah, they'll, they'll uh, screen for... really the release, and then do it in March when they've won the Oscar. It's a two-week hmm. run in the uh, the Hollywood, the Chinese theatre or wherever in LA, and then Exactly, you can still do that. Hmm. Well, you can't if the cinema's closed. The bloke at the theatre says, yeah, we'll put it on. Take your money. Well, I, I mean, I think that that cinema might be closed for much of the rest of the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know, uh, Netflix or whoever are like, right, well, you don't actually have to open it to the public, just play our film for two weeks to an empty room, and that counts. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Or, or just say, like, if we're going to have social distancing in the thing, it's like you have to have two seats between everybody. It doesn't matter, we're not bothered about selling tickets for this at the moment, we're just getting it in a theatrical release. Except, like I say, the Oscars have, uh, the Oscars have changed the rules for this year, in a really kind of wishy-washy way, I should add, whereby anything that was going to be released theatrically, but now gets released digitally, is eligible. They have to make a reasonable case that they were going to be screening it in cinemas. That's fair enough, isn't it? And I think it's just going to be on a case-by-case mm. basis. But, um, yeah. I, I do. I think this could be James Bond's year through uh, sort of weird <laughs> circumstances. Well, I think it would take more than a global apocalypse to get James Bond on the Oscar podium. (laughs) Well, the real thing is, if it wins, does that count? Or do they only get, like, a digital (laughs) Oscar? There's a big asterisk. They only get a digital (laughs) Oscar instead of a real one. Mm. I mean, this is somewhat topical for the film. Well, it's not really, but it's tangentially of note to talk about in the context of Tomorrow Never Dies, because Tomorrow Never Dies opened on the same day as Titanic in 1997 in many territories, which was, of course, went on to win. I thought you were going to say it's because the media are lying to us. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, well. Are they lying to us, though, Alan? That is an opinion of yours. (laughs) There is no virus. (laughs) All right, well, sh- sh- shall we get into talking about the film we're here to talk about today, Tomorrow Never Dies? Yeah, how we've come straight off of GoldenEye, of course. So, I, as far as I know, GoldenEye is considered one of the better Bonds, so it was well-received. It had been obviously a big hiatus. This was their big comeback. Did it mm. go down as they wanted it to? Um, well, it made more money. Um, all the Pierce Brosnan films were on an upward slant, so each one made more money than the previous, and that's, you know, not bad, as I say. This opened against mm. Titanic, which was the highest grossing film of all time for a while so the fact that it still made a good chunk of money um good on it uh critically it was not as well received and uh, really? the production was quite troubled 
It's your classic sort of like big budget. They're going into it with no script. Uh, people are being cast and then dropping out. People, cast members are turning up thinking that their character is like what it was in draft twelve, and now it's draft fourteen, and it's completely changed. And um, yeah, so very very uh, troubled production this one. Okay, that that might go part way towards explaining it. Um, hmm. without getting into the film can we just talk about the acting for a bit oh okay because I I made a note my first note is this actor at the start this British guy is fucking awful Pierce Brosnan and then I followed up (laughs) no no then I followed up the worst performance I've ever seen in a mainstream film and it took me a while (laughs) It took me a while to figure out who this is that I was talking about, but I think it was uh, Colin Salmon. Oh, yes, yes. it was, because I made the same note. Uh, Star of Resident Evil 4. (laughs) Yep. yep. Alien versus Predator as well. Him and Paul W.S. Anderson are very chummy. I couldn't believe what I was watching. But then the thing is, (laughs) as the film went on, everyone's pretty terrible in this film, and they're all delivering it in that kind of PlayStation game cutscene kind of <laughs> style. So I don't know if it's Colin Salmon's fault. I mean, he's by far the worst one here. But like, it it, it feels like a film directed by someone who doesn't speak English. the The dialogue is so <laughs> stilted. You know, the way Alan talks about how badly acted some of the earlier films are because they had to dub in all the Bond girls. Like, every single actor in this film felt like that, with the exception of Pierce Brosnan, who Mm. comes away so well, one almost wonders if he had a contractual clause written into the film that was like, everyone else has to be... The director's not allowed to talk. Yeah, the the director has to make sure the the other people are edited to look like they're giving a worse performance than Pierce Brosnan, so he looks better by comparison. I don't think... I mean, okay, yeah, Terry Hatch and Jonathan Price were both pretty poor. Oh, but I what? think in defense of Colin Salmon and Jonathan Price particularly, the dialogue is very poor for those guys. It's like real like Colin Salmon that first scene, it's just like, right, mate, you're doing exposition here, make this sound good. I know, but he still delivers it like this. Really now. <laughs> Fun for the whole Bond. family. Will you listen to me, please, James? That looks like an American encoder. They use it to control their navigation satellites, the GPS system. <laughs> did you know I did Shakespeare on the stage? <laughs> did he? I'm one of the most respected Shakespearean actors of the London stage scene. Colin Salmon? <laughs> I don't think so. That's what it yeah. says on his IMDb bio if you look at it. No way. Seriously. <laughs> oh, it wow. is written by C. Salmon 69. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, one of Britain's most renowned actors. Okay, I, I've added in the, the stage element myself. Renowned? What is he renowned for, though? He's That's renowned really for thing. having a bold voice and posture. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you're not looking at someone else? <laughs> That's that is what it he says. He does have good posture. Yeah, he has excellent. I mean, I like that's what his official bio on IMDb says. I mean, I say official, mini bio written by anonymous. <laughs> so. <laughs> Look, he's an, he's probably a lovely man. He probably is. He comes across... And he's only here because uh, Michael Kitchen, uh, <laughs> who's in Goldeneye, was supposed to come back, but um, he was filming Foil's War, so um, they had to bring in Colin Salmon as a new character. Oh, dear. Um, should, we, should we talk about this pre credit sequence, if... 
Okay. We want to jump right. into the film because um, for what you're saying, Sol, about PlayStation One cutscene um, sort of stuff, I, I I can tell how you would get that vibe from this pre-title sequence, which is a lot of exposition. People in a room, and Bond is at a terrorist arms bazaar, and he's having to fly the nuclear missiles out before the uh, whole place blows up, and mm. um, it does play sort of. Uh, Bond doesn't often grab a machine gun and go, like, mowing people down in droves, but here he he's doing that, and maybe it does feel a bit more um, American action hero than sort of in keeping with what the series has done for the most part so far. He's he's still wearing a tuxedo, though, isn't he, and a bow tie when he's doing it? It's not uh, well, like... not, not in the opening, but he does later on. I think on. he is. I think no, he is. No, he isn't. I think he is actually because he he put he put he goes in the plane and he gets yes. the chin strap of the helmet caught on his bow tie and he fiddles around with that for about five minutes. Before Are you he, and then, joking? Because it's or... the clock's ticking down and they're like, "Bond, stop messing about with your bow tie. We've got to get on with it." <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, Em. <laughs> yeah. I may have dozed off while I was watching this. Film. Uh, what do you mean dozed <laughs> off? We're only five minutes in. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm I'm so glad I took exhaustive notes this time round because well, I, I, watched I watched this, this film, film three hours ago. <laughs> oh, see, I was going to say I, I watched this film um, two days ago, and I've compl- like it's gone from my memory. Like I wouldn't even <laughs> remember that Terry Hatcher was in it had I not written down yeah, yeah. Terry Hatcher's a Bond yeah. girl. <laughs> I must say, yeah, I definitely felt not to give too much away, but this was just very forgettable and kind of nothingy. Hmm. Not bad, but just a bit like, yeah. I, um, Is that what they're aiming for? I, yeah, yeah, they're aiming for mediocre and forgettable. I, I kind of... I, I mean, look, at the start of this film, I was enjoying it. Like, I was on board. I thought, right, it's 90s as fuck, but that's fun. Campy, I can get on board with it. But, like, I think this is just the thing with Bond movies, is, like, I'll I'll give them... I'll give them like an hour of good faith, and then they spend it, and uh, <laughs> you know that's that's what happened here. Mm, okay, uh, I see where you're coming from, uh, and particularly in this opening sequence, there's a lot of good action stuff. I don't know if you took out James Bond and just put in any old action hero. You know, Show me. you could you could just do the same thing with anyone, basically. Um, so the- you're saying it's not very Bond. Uh- at, at the start, I don't think it is, and I, but I think that the music they've got a really good composer here in David Arnold now taking over from the previous guy, and you is this can his tell first... that the music is working. Yes, it is his first one. Wow. Okay. Yes, he came off of uh, Independence Day into this, um, but he. I mean, you can t- like they play the Bond theme so much throughout the whole thing; it's really working over time to make you think it is more Bondy than it is. I do love the music here, and I think that is a good reason of why I go with this film so well. I think it really does that classic Bond sound, but modernizes it. I think the action sequences are really exciting, and yeah, I I, I do quite love the opening. Yeah, I, I like the opening. I, I was on board with it. It it was silly nonsense, but I I wasn't not enjoying it at this point. I have a feeling that I'm. I already know the answer to this, but um, the theme song here is "Tomorrow Never Dies" by Sheryl Crow. What did you think of the song? Tomorrow never dies. Yeah, actually, how, how does it go, Calvin? Because I, I have actually forgotten. Tomorrow never dies. Did it in? Tomorrow never dies. 
It goes, <laughs> I see it in your eyes. Tomorrow never dies. That, I mean, that's an actual lyric. I know. You I remembered more of this than you uh, thought, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> The song has a real kind of Bond theme feel yeah, to it, actually. Yeah, like, kind I, of more old school one. I quite liked that element. I didn't like. I don't like her voice. I didn't like what she was doing with it. But I, I, I kind of like the concept of it. I hmm. thought it was a really generic, not particularly interesting song on its own terms, but within the specific context of yeah. a James Bond opening credit sequence, it it fit perfectly. It was, you know. I'd I'd never choose to listen to it on its own, but it was a really cool. Yeah, it just it just fit the soundtrack fit, and those opening titles are really cool. Mm. Yeah, they're kind of paying homage to the naked silhouette ladies. Yeah, I think this might classic, but they're kind now they're digital because it's the nineties. This might be my favorite (laughs) James Bond opening titles to date. Actually, we've um, we finally hit the full on. After Effects collage <laughs> era, I suppose. You know, we're done. Yeah. We're done with uh, awkwardly filming Roger Moore with a kind of red f- light filter on his face. Now we've <laughs> actually, you know, we we can just do kind of PlayStation special effects X rays on women. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's nineties as fuck again, but. It's everything I want in a James Bond title sequence made in the 90s, you know? It, it, it was good. Girls and guns. Mm. Yeah, but even Martini's then it wasn't girls and guns. It wasn't just completely gratuitous naked women. It was kind of like, well, no, she's getting x-rayed. There's a bit more about it than just, oh, look, titillation. It was, you know, there's the bit where where there's that naked woman and we zoom in close on her neck and then the Chaos Emeralds fly off like she's going to turn into <laughs> supersonic spinning around her neck. That that felt a bit weird because uh, 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 there's no diamonds in this film, are there? Well, that no. actually, actually, it's funny you should bring this up, actually. Um, I was wondering about whether or not to bring this up and I thought it was a bit... They, oh, they, they made this based on the 10th th- draft and then they changed it. Uh, well, that. yeah, there was, a, there was a line in one version of the script where Elliot Carver made some reference to his satellites around the globe being like diamonds around um, his wife's neck or something like that. Right. Um, so that's where that came from. And then obviously by the time they'd done it, that line wasn't in there anymore. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. It's a nice little thing and it'd be better if it yeah. had some logical reason to be there and funnily enough that song was not the song that uh well uh david arnold co-wrote a song called surrender which plays is that the one over the, the end, end titles oh i see that yes. was actually like a really decent bond theme it was like i remember oh, that right, kicked yeah. off and i was like oh this sounds way more like a, a proper bond theme i wonder why they didn't go with it i have the power Tomorrow never dies. So 
one is like that one has motifs that like go through the score. Like the Cheryl Crow song is just sort of like its own thing. There is mm. no kind of consistent musicality with the rest of the score. But Cheryl Crow is a straight attractive woman, and that is more marketable what? than um, poor lesbian Katie Lang, who uh, got the mm. short end of the stick as the execs thought. Oh well, we can put. Cheryl Crow's face on the CD and sell more. So. Why didn't they just do what Disney do, which is have Katie Lang sing the version in the film, and then <laughs> Cheryl Crow can do the one over the end credits that gets played on the radio? Right, well, okay, I'll, I'll um, talk about the next chunk of the film, which basically introduces us to the villains. Um, Jonathan yeah, Price. I, I noticed we got a hell of a long time without Bond. Mm. I noticed yes, that. Really yeah, long time setting up the villains. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I I feel like okay. So yeah, I just kind of interrupt you there. We have Jonathan Price as your main villain. Mm. Elliot Carver, who is a media mogul, mm. and then there aren't really. He has he has a henchman who's just like a guy with bleach blonde hair mm. who doesn't. Have any, <laughs> he, he hasn't got any kind of malformed <laughs> body parts or anything, so it's not very charismatic. Well, Bond Bond has always done these sort of German, really built, bleach blonde hair types. You and Liv twice had one. Fiore's only had one. This has one. From Russia with Love. What was the oh, yes, of course. Yeah, the main one. Yeah, Red Grant. Yeah, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all kind of, it all kind of goes back to him, I think. Um, well, it's the Russians, isn't it? Yeah. Scary yeah. Russians. Well, I mean, what did you think... Of, while we're here, because we're at the, uh, talking about the bit in the film where we see the villain's plan put into action, um, a British ship is sunk and all the people on board are killed and it's made to look oh, like yeah, yeah, the Chinese yeah. sunk the ship. It's that whole baiting each side into, again, which is a bit of a classic Bond trope. We've seen that before you and live twice when the space shuttles were being stolen to try and flare up tensions between nations. But here, yeah, we do get Jonathan Price's Elliot Carver. I know you've commented on the acting already. I'm a big fan of him, and I think he's camping over the top and hilarious in this part. I'm guessing you two don't feel the same. I mean, he he was one of the best people in it, but even he... Th- th- honestly, there's something up with the acting across the board in this film. And it's like everything is just a bit stilted and a bit overly enunciated. It's... I don't know. It's like the director was a real stickler for you must hit your... You must hit all of the words exactly as they are written. Like everyone's <laughs> just a bit—I don't know. Like there's a rod, a rod up their ass. Yeah, I did. I did my thoughts on Jonathan Price's performance in general. Well, as Elliot Carver, so this isn't his fault. The 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 dialogue, everything he says is either exposition or is explicitly going. Hey, I'm a twat. I'm a massive twat. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. I'm a twat. Good morning, my golden retrievers. What kind of havoc shall the Carver Media Group create in the world today? Mr. Jones, are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Mr. Wallace, call the president. Tell him if he doesn't sign the bill lowering the cable rates, we'll release the video of him with the cheerleader in the Chicago motel room. Inspired, sir. And after he signs the bill, release the tape anyway. Consider him slimed. Everything is so on the nose. It's just like there's no character there at all. He's just a kind of cartoon. Oh, I don't know. Mm. There, I guess there's you, more. That's what you like, there's more character <laughs> yes. here than you get normally in a James Bond villain. Uh, I think he's more lively. Yeah, like you can tell that he's having a lot of fun chewing the scenery, and I think that goes a long way just towards making 
the film have a bit of energy. It's kind of lively. Do you know what it's? Do you know what it's missing? Which it's only just occurred to me now. A robot hand. <laughs> a robot dog. Like, um, so, no, we never get a bit where Bond and the bad guy are kind of hanging out. I know they sort of meet at the party, but in the way that they're yeah. feeling each other out and they're at, and he's really charismatic villain and he's like mm. brings him some a drink and stuff. And they're kind of, they both know. And like, that's a classic Bond thing. We don't get that. And mm. I think that what we get from those scenes are like the charismatic villain. And we never see that side of, of Carver. He's just a tosser all the way through. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It just makes it less fun, I guess. Yeah. And also, so his plot yeah. is yes. obviously to <laughs> to bait both sides to start a third world war. Yes. Maybe this is just Bond's British bias, but he seems to be starting a, the World War Three between China and Britain. Well. As to China and America, which would be of, as if China's just going to, what, sorry, British boats are off our coast. An okay. earlier version. What do they want? Are they delivering something? You, you They've come for all the tea. <laughs> you will note, of course, that this film was released in 97, which was significant as the year that the British handed Hong over Kong. Hong Kong. And a previous version of the story was all to do about that. It was all, the whole plot was uh, surrounding that handover. And then that all kind of got changed, but I guess they'd already got permits to film in places and had sets built, <laughs> so they just needed to... Yeah, roll with it. And again, Jonathan Price was a super last-minute replacement for... Um, well, Anthony Hopkins was sort oh. of the hot favourite for the part. Oh. And he didn't want to do it because, uh, w- w- you know, you, you you don't have a script for me to read. What the hell? Of course, I'm not going to sign on to this. That's fair. Uh. <laughs> um, I, I have to say, the cast in this film is something else by like the standards I'm used to. It's the first time I've like sat down during a Bond film, and I've known the names coming up in the opening credits. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like Terry Hatcher, Michelle yeah, Yeoh. Yeah, and, 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 and I think a lot of that is these people went on to be significant after this film in a way that, I don't know, James Bond actors haven't in the past? Or well, I, I, I think it might right? just be more of a generational thing. I think always yeah. the, supporting, the supporting actors do tend to be, like, TV actors, that kind of... Well, I, I mean... Obviously, Terry Hatcher has, you know, gone on to do stuff, but she's largely TV. But you know, I guess that is that is generational, I suppose. She'd already been on Lois and Clark at this point, yeah. So yeah. she was already very much a name, and Jonathan Price had done plenty of stuff, yeah. Um, but but he's you had know, a fairly the, consistent career. But we also have, you know, Gerard Butler's in this film. Hugh Bonneville's oh, yeah. in this film. Julian oh, yeah, Fellows is in this Hugh film. Won. You know, it, mm, there's... Vincent Schiavelli, isn't it? Yeah, is, is yeah. that is that the guy out of Ghost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the name of the guy who was in that sitcom with Judy Dench? He's in it too. Jeffrey uh, Palmer. Jeffrey Palmer. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But there's a there's a lot of recognizable faces, and I I haven't really had that in a James Bond film before. Oh, those British ships are full of people. Um, just like uh, I'm watching The Crown um, recently, and. Pretty much every every actor on that ship is like just sort of. What's his name? Is it Jason Watkins? He's in there. Oh, and yeah. There's like a bald older guy who I've seen in like plenty of stuff. Anyway, so I mean that that stuff with the submarine up at the start and the ships and everything, and then they drop that drill thing on a submarine here at the opening, and suddenly it's like, oh man, shit's hitting the fan, and there's water going everywhere, and it's chaos. 
so I actually really enjoyed all the stuff on the on the submarines and in this film. Hmm. So you enjoyed all the uh, wet semen? Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Salty, <laughs> okay. salty semen. Because <laughs> because the water came uh... in and and got them all salty, swilling them around. I mean, I I, I love watching a scene where. Semen is is just swilled or are is is semen are. <laughs> <laughs> so Carver's plan, such as it is, includes using a stealth boat to and then launching a sea drill to sink this ship. Now I don't know what a sea drill is. I don't know if that's a, a potentially <laughs> real thing, but I can't figure out how it works. Well, I, I, I can't. Context. I can't figure out in what world that would be more efficient than a rocket or like an ex- <laughs> like an explosive torpedo. Because the 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 pro because the, they have the surprise, don't they? They were they were close enough and they couldn't see them, so it didn't matter if yeah, just fire a rocket. But also, like it, it trundles along to the thing, so maybe it's got a little motor on it or something to push it forward, but how does it generate enough force to drive through what I assume is quite a thick steel hull? Well, I'll tell you, Alan, because it had about five different saw, like, circular saw things going in (laughs) the same direction, so it obviously kind of latches onto it and then, like, chews it through the centre, which I I thought was quite a cool design, because initially it was like, oh, I thought it was just going to be like a pizza knife on a on a torpedo, and that obviously wouldn't make any sense, but because there were like... What's wrong with a good old laser cutter? Eh? What's wrong with that? Because there were like three pizza knives all pushing into the same point. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> if that gets onto you like a limpet, then it's gonna keep going. Like, I was alright with that. I thought it was quite a nice little design thing, actually. I mean, completely... I'll tell you why they don't Hideously impractical, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why they don't blow it up because they go on to get those missiles, so they don't want to yeah, uh, potentially. They don't want to destroy them. Yeah, Calvin, uh, uh, do they ever? Because they seem to like this sort of thing in James Bond. So, in any of the future films, do we ever get like just like a big giant pair of scissors on a rocket shot at an aeroplane <laughs> or something <laughs> that just chops um, the aeroplane in half, or oh, a a big a, a boxing glove on a drone? <laughs> Have you seen? You've not seen the world is not enough yet, have you? No, is that the next one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. But this this speaks, Calvin, to something I noticed throughout, and it, it made me think. This is just so kind of of its time, very nineties. In that you've got these big action things. I was thinking uh, later on with the motorbike chasers and all that sort of stuff. They were they were coming down on the banner, all that kind of thing. These kind of very physical effects, you know, there's not not much CGI and stuff there. It's still very physical. It feels real, but in the same time, it feels quite crap because like you can't, you, they can't make it look that good. Hmm. And also, there's really no sense of reality or physics to anything. Mm. Uh, like, <laughs> and I think I think that changes in a post-born world that like we see, and it's still obviously a Hollywood reality, but we see the consequences of the the physical actions. So like in this in this film, for example, they drive the motorbike off a building into another building, it collapses into the into the next thing. Not only are they not hurt at all, they also drive away. The motorbike's not damaged in any way either. Mm. And it's just sort of like cartoonish action. And I think we've lost that. Like, you know, it, we you wouldn't do that today. I don't think you can get away with that. That's true, yeah. Or it would be in an action comedy, probably. Well, I, I, I yeah. have actually, I've made the note here 
is this a comedy? Question mark. And I'm not entirely sure what that was referring to, but I'm guessing it was the <laughs> drill punching through the submarine. Well, some of the dialogue is quite sort of yeah. They do a lot of oh, pump her for information, 007, and uh, mm. it's up to you to decide that how much. That sort of oh, cheeky little thing is. You always were Bond, a cunning though. linguist, James. Oh, is, um... I mean, what the fuck was that? Oh, I like that one. <laughs> Oh dear. The, the more overt thing is like Vincent Scavelli's assassin is like a comic relief assassin. Oh, well, okay, uh, yes. just just uh, on the on the topic of terrible 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 one-liners. There's a bit where James Bond breaks a newspaper press. <clears throat> and he says the line, "They'll print anything these days." <laughs> I like yeah. what is that? I like I don't get it. I don't get it. Is that a joke? I always get caught out with that one because it's like he chucks a guy into the printing press and the newspaper's coming up and it's got blood all over it. And I always think he's going to say, I guess we know what's black, white, and red all over. <laughs> and then he doesn't say it. <laughs> that was. I, I actually I kept a running total of how many lines Pierce Brosnan had that didn't contain a pun. Uh, and it's zero. There are no, he doesn't say anything that doesn't contain a pun. Every fucking sentence, some shitty wordplay. I, I, I mean, I don't actually. Awful script. I don't actually know if that's a joke or not. <laughs> Filthy habit. Backseat driver. I'm just up here at Oxford, brushing up on a little Danish. Looking for a news story? We don't print anything these days. I would have thought watching your TV shows was torture enough. Next time I'll take the elevator. Just off the cuff, I thought we might link up. Let's stay undercover. (laughs) 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 But yeah, he does a lot of just so many crap puns. There is a lot in this one. There are are an awful lot of puns and there's an awful lot of Bond theme. Um, It does feel like Goldeneye was a success and then MGM executives suddenly started paying attention and were like, oh, okay. Right, focus groups like this do this. Oh, we need a we need. You'll, you'll notice as well with the next couple of Brosnan ones as well. There are sort of uh, executive sanctioned Bond girls drafted in, and Terry Hatcher is one of those where it was like, oh, we need someone <laughs> who is going to appeal to Americans in this. So uh, get her in. And they've chose Terry Hatcher. Mm. She was TV big at the time. Lois and Clark was huge. Oh, no. She's still only at Terry Hatcher, don't she? Mm. Um. Do you mind if we skip along to where Bond gets his car? One thing I want to mention. Okay. And it's with the money penny scene. Oh, we just okay. see her briefly talking on the phone. Hmm. What's going on with her nails? Did you notice that? Oh. She has these very long fake acrylic nails on. Oh, you're and it right. Just, it really jumped out at me like why that it just doesn't it didn't sit right. Yeah. Is that, is that what you want with money penny? Um I mean it's never bothered me in um 23 years of watching this film but uh, <laughs> now that you've mentioned it oh yeah she's got a bit like pat butcher earrings as well actually I'm just looking at it now uh, right so yeah moving forward Q? um we have a cue scene yeah you know what I what you know what you I really liked here mm. uh James Bond like turns around and says something like oh that's auto is kaput Say good job. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yes, yes, Mr. Bond. And I was like, ooh. Yeah, my bureau had an auto reserved. 
I really like Pierce Brosnan <laughs> speaking German. That's that's really nice. Well, I let's have I more noticed, of that. I noticed that like usually they kind of play off like Bond just can like slip into any language and he's totally comfortable with it. But that felt and it felt deliberately like he was struggling with like some basic schoolboy German. Mm. I really liked well, though, I think but that was a yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, like, oh, character it, choice. It didn't feel like oh, James Bond is like gonna be able to go undercover as a German. It just felt like. Yeah, it's a mm. nice real moment. He knows German, but not well enough to, you know, not fluently, but he can ask for his car. Yeah. Just while we're on the subject, um, later on when he gets to uh, Waylin's um, sort of secret base, at one point he goes up to a keyboard and it's got Mandarin um, symbols. Oh, I it. made a note of that. Ah, yeah. <laughs> D- yep. Did you yes, remember? He an ex- isn't he an expert in Oriental languages? Yes, he has a first <laughs> in it, I believe. Uh, Sean Connery in. Uh, yes. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> Ding dong. Oh, hello. Who's that? Oh, hello, lads. Ich, <laughs> ich, oh, German Bond. Ich bin ein, ein Deutsch gebond. Bond oh. Deutscher. <laughs> Alles klar. Uh, ich komme aus Patreon. Oh. <laughs> uh, what's that, German Bond? You've got some Patreon news for us. Oh, uh, uh, you have got some new subscribers that I want to tell oh, you, you about. Oh, speak English. That's helpful. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. German Bond. Uh, yeah, so our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dim returns, is $1 a month. And, and for that, you get all sorts of extra content. Oh. Uh, mostly uh, what we call Diminisodes, uh, which are sort of shorter episodes in which we review more recent releases generally. That's oh, right, isn't oh. it, German Bond? Eins, eins Dollar ein Mund. Oh, I, yeah, eins klein, ein kleiner Gespunde. You don't have any money, is that? <laughs> oh, ich, ich habe eine, uh, uh, ich bin aus, komme aus Berlin. All right, I thought you spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, what, what is it, German Bond? Are you going to tell us some, some new subscribers that we, okay. yeah? It's like Lassie. We've got to we've got to get out of him like that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you have uh, Paul Armstrong. Oh, Paul Armstrong. Paul Armstrong yeah. yeah, very good, very good. What's Armstrong in in German? Oh, uh, <laughs> Handy. Uber Handy. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Uber Handy. Okay, very good. <laughs> Und uh, Jared Bandy. Oh, Jared, Jared, Jared Bandy. Bandy. Well, thanks, Jared and Paul. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Neil Johnstone. Neil Johnston. Thank you, Neil. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, all three. Hi, Neil. And uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't recall if you said him last time with uh, Japanese Bond, but there's also Mark Rogers. He's up. Oh, I don't recall. That. Mark Rogers. He's he's up uh, one one dollar. Or a dollar to dry dollar. Oh well, well thank <laughs> three dollars. Thank you, thank you, oh, Mark. Yeah. That's of course, really you can pay more than yeah. you have to if you just want to help the show. We're, <laughs> more we're than always, you uh, have happy to. With that. That's 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 <laughs> uh, that's really really nice of you. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah. Especially with the current the current situation, you know. Uh, Every little helps and all that. Patreon supporters do get uh, access to other things. So we've we've just done a a poll in which we we had a. Uh, 
Patreon supporters suggest films for us, and we, we've picked one. We won't give that away just yet. But also, uh, we recently did a live episode in which uh, the Patreon supporters were right there with us and could ask us questions and things like mm, that. That was very fun. Uh, so there is, it's, it's uh, worth it if you want to support the show. Definitely, uh, we're definitely worth a dollar a month. Anyway, that's, that's for sure. Oh, well, I feel the same. This is the weakest German Bond character we. So it's the weakest character we've ever had out of the Bond family on the podcast, and you know why? Because it's not Werner Herzog. <laughs> exactly, it's because I went for a kind of high pitched German instead of instead of one I am comfortable <laughs> improvising in. <laughs> Should we? If if we redo the entire sequence, it will be much easier. <laughs> we have got first of these unnecessary forays into financial propagation. We have Paul Armstrong. See, it, it's just easier. It's, it's, I don't know, easier just to throw big words and, oh, mine handy. <laughs> you did go a little bit Uta from The Simpsons with that one. Uh what is a handy? Because that is a German word that I it's know. A mobile I, phone. Is a mobile phone? All right. I knew it was. I knew it was one of my. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, Sehr gut. So, Sehr gut. <laughs> oh, he's never looked this old before, which you know makes sense because these were shot <laughs> chronologically. <laughs> yeah, <makes> but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that really got Calvin, didn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 it's been a while since we have since we had a 30 second laugh that gets edited down and it still feels long. <laughs> oh dear. Calvin, Calvin's gone. Calvin, come back to us. Yeah. All right. So, Calvin, I, there's not really, uh, in the queue scene, there's not really much of a ga- any gadgets apart from the remote control car. Mm. That's basically it, isn't it? That's all he gets. Mm. Yeah. Which is a bit lackluster for a Bond. But also, now, obviously, the Bond car is a big thing in Bond films. It's a thing. And I, I know, I, I think I speak for Sol as well. I just don't get it. I'm not a car person. I, I see a car, it's a car. Mm. However... I will say, when I saw this car, I did think, what an ugly car. <laughs> and I just thought, that looks really crap. And it kind of looks quite, I guess it looks 90s. And, and to now, well, watching it 20 odd years later, it, it looks yeah. really old and dated. But like, I don't think that when you see an Aston Martin, you might think, mm. oh, that looks kind of 60s. But that's quite cool. I guess those, those cars they had in the 70s that turned into a submarine and stuff were really crap in the 70s. Calvin, is is yeah. is this the BMW seven five zero IL? I've just looked up yes. tomorrow never dies car because I don't remember what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, I must right, I must yes. say, looking at it now, I mean, my my mum used to drive a Renault five in the nineties, and it it looks similar to that. Right. So the the reason why we have this very unbondy car in this is, um, do you recall um, back to Goldeneye where they set up this car, Stinger missiles, all this kind of stuff. It was convertible, sporty, and it never actually got any 
good use in the film. No. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, they they did they had the BMW Z3 in Goldeneye and um because of production constraints, they couldn't have a big showcase scene for it or anything. So BMW were like, "Right, we're going to give you the car and we're going it's going to be a nice family car that people watching this film can actually buy and <laughs> um you're going to make it look good." So that's why we have this car. But that's not really the point of a Bond car, is it? If one that uh, a middle well, manager is going to buy. The the point is to buy is to sell cars. I guess BMW figured they'd sell more of these than um yeah. Did you notice by the way, you know when he takes Bond outside and it's in a big crate and the crate falls down. Did you notice that in the background there's another crate with a Jaguar in it as in as in the the big cat. Oh, an actual cat, not a car. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that, that was that, a, like, a, is that like a diss. It's like that, like, that was a deleted Jaguar. scene where Q actually revealed the big cat and Bond said, huh, "A Jaguar." <laughs> anyway, they cut that out. <laughs> in another in another box behind that one was just like a big expanse of water, and that's because there was a deleted scene where Bond went, "Oh, I'm driving a fjord." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You could have done better than that. I can't think of. I don't know any other cars. (laughs) (laughs) What other car makes are there? There's Q as a matchstick box with a beetle in it. And (laughs) and Bond's like raises an eyebrow. Oh, 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 okay. Um. He like tries to open a thing, but he presses the wrong button, and like a little dart flies out instead. And he's like, "Oh!" And Pon's like, "That's not very smart of you, Q." <laughs> right. Hang on. Hang on. I need to. I need to Google. So then, there's a box <laughs> behind that one. And you know who's in it? Who? Francisco Scaramanga. Right. <laughs> Obviously portrayed by Sir Christopher Lee. But he's he's keeled over in the kind of L shape. And then James Bond says, Oh, I thought I was going to drive a Bentley. <laughs> I think the lockdown's getting to us, if I'm honest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, um, my point of uh, talking about this was that even though I don't think that the car looks like your traditional Bond vehicle, um, I still think it does get one of the best Bond vehicle action sequences in the car park in Germany later on. How do we feel about a remote control car? I mean, I I agree with you. It's just on the line, doesn't it? I agree with you, Alan, that this scene was sorely lacking in in gadgets. Um, And I guess that's because Q's gone out performing his own deliveries, which I'm not entirely sure a man of his age would do. Uh, I think he'd stay stay in his office job and make Bond come to him, or there'd be someone else who'd actually go and pretend to be a valet. Because that's like, you know, that's an entire 
you know, better part of a week he's probably spent flying over there, wherever it is, give, waiting around for James Bond, giving him a car. Yeah, but he's it's a jolly, isn't it? He's he's going out there. <laughs> he's going to do some sightseeing. Yeah, kiss some women in a in a hot air balloon. Yeah, you know what he's like. Um, yeah, but remote control car. I mean, that's the gadget, isn't it? So, if that's all you've got, it was like, well, that's not really that interesting. I mean, are you saying it's too sci-fi? It's too silly. Not exactly, because like, for me it's a... not enough. It's just like yeah, boring. A remote like... control car is a thing. That's well, exactly sizing yeah. it up is certainly plausible. You know, I'm not gonna, but I don't like that it's like on a phone and there's no. It's just it's not. Like, it's on a fucking there's... Game Boy Advance. It's on a little <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> Game Boy Advance. It's a flip phone. There's like the buttons. There's just like four buttons, and press one of them twice, and it makes pins fall out of the back. Uh, press press them in another order, and it makes you know the ejector seat or whatever. And Bond knows all this. He's obviously read the yeah, manual yeah, yeah. and and memorized all that. Press it three uh, times and it blows up, but not if you then press it five times to disarm the fuse. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean it's it's also it's also basically a self driving car. They don't really mention that, but it you know based on how it drives over towards them and stuff, it obviously has that capability. It doesn't look like they're steering it, you know? It just looks like they press a button and it drives over to them. Uh, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be steering it. They just don't even <laughs> yeah. half an effort to make it look like... <laughs> Yeah, it's just got like a trackpad and it, yeah, there's no consistency with it. He's like tapping bits here and there and it's, yeah. Um, it's like when you watch someone in a 90s sitcom who's supposed to be playing a, a video game but they've obviously never touched the PlayStation in their life, so they're just kind of like mm. holding the controller sideways, yeah. you know, g- mashing it with both hands. Like, it's come on. It's like when you're watching Jonathan Price typing and he's clearly never used <laughs> the keyboard. Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even look at it. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, we're, we're about with this stuff where there's a load of um, stuff going on in Germany, met Terry Hatcher. Shall we also meet Michelle Yeoh, who we haven't really talked about yet, as main Bond girl Waylin? I mean, I know I don't love her as much as you do, but... How do you know I love her? Oh, because you always go on about her. Do I? You've definitely <laughs> gone on about her. Like, I think she was... Oh, God, what else is she in? She's in something we watched, and then you were like... Oh, oh. Sunshine. Yes. Yeah. It will be, yeah. yeah. I guess she's, she's, she's exactly at the right sort of level for Bond, I suppose. Not a big star, but totally capable. Mm. Yeah. Um, she brings enough character to it. I don't think the writing's up to much in this film in general, so there's not much there. Um, but she does it well, holds her own in the action stuff, and, you know, it becomes a nice little buddy thing between them. Mm. Uh, like I said, you could, it would be so easy to just make so much more of that, give them some proper dialogue, nice character stuff, and you could mm-hmm. actually do something with that, make a good film about it. But the writer obviously just thought it wouldn't bother. Writers. Or they, or they, they wrote it. Yeah. Or they wrote it and then said, oh, sorry, the photocopy is broken. We can't do that. <laughs> but I think she does as well as she can under the circumstances. The one bit I liked about their whole bit, when they get handcuffed together and they end up on the motorbike, which is the big action set piece, isn't it? The, mm. the whole thing. Mm. I really liked that. I thought it worked. Having them handcuffed together gave it a nice kind of flavour, a very individual feel for this action sequence instead of just, oh, we're going around a favela on a bike or whatever. 
hmm. uh, it, it it allowed them to spark off each other, and it was obviously a metaphor for the fact that they're having to reluctantly cooperate, but hmm. ultimately they work well together. I thought that works really nicely. It sums it up, and it gives the action sequence um, some character. Great. Hmm. Beautiful bit mm. of bonding there. <laughs> oh. Well, I, 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 I made notes up until this point, and then I made a note losing losing interest now. Forty minutes in, so oh dear. that I mean, it's just a free for all from from me now. So it de- yeah, so it definitely will. did not hold my focus either, particularly. <laughs> okay, I, I've well, got I, I've got two more specific notes to get to for the rest of the film, but yeah. Well. I- I do want to talk about the whole Terry Hatch thing because I think that one of the okay. interesting things that Bond's ten that Brosnan's tenure as Bond tries to do is that they try to give him relatively different uh, scenarios with women to play off. And this we've never seen Bond sort of be so attached to a former flame before. Um, she's not in it very much, and she's mm. off quite quickly. Yeah. So I don't know if we really get the full potential of that. But did they um, do that? Did they? Kill her off quickly after they realised it was Terry Hatcher, and they were like, "It's just <laughs> well, let's yeah." Keep this I mean, down to a minimum. That there have been rumours that this was either supposed to be that this role was originally supposed to be played by um, Natalia from Goldeneye, that the actress was supposed to come back, and it was sort of going to be okay. like, "Oh, what actually happens to Bond girls after they, you know, he dumps them?" And okay. I have no been... idea who that is in Goldeneye. I can't remember, but the the main Bond girl. <laughs> I have no <laughs> that, idea that what be... happens in Goldeneye. She she's the one who actually had a bit of agency about her and a bit of personality for a change. Oh wait, it's the act who never did anything else again, isn't it? Oh yes, yes, that's her. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> I I uh, think that would have been really nice actually. Except maybe it should have been saved for the third Pierce Brosnan film, so you kind of have a mm, gap, and mm, then she comes back. Yeah. Have they ever done that? Have they ever has a a Bond girl ever come back for another film and she's apart? Pregnant. Apart from potentially Quantum of Solace, because it picks up immediately at the end of the previous one. Uh, well, I mean, actresses have come back. Maud Adams came back to play Octopussy after she'd been in The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, but no, th- there were plans to have Wei Lin come back in Diner the Day, but those fell through for whatever reason. So yeah, th- they have had intentions every now and then, but it just never seems to work out. You know they do bring back? Joe Who? Don Baker. <laughs> Oh yes, he's because back. apparently he's so fucking popular. <laughs> they have to shoehorn him. I assume that was written for a totally different character, and then they just went, "Oh, Joe is available." I met him at the barbecue on Friday. He said he was needs to work. <laughs> I'm assuming that happened. Uh, well, he's supposed to be like the new Felix Leiter now, isn't he? He's sort of like Bond's American contact. So whenever he yeah, has anything, I hate, to do with I hate everything about that character because he's like, "Hey, Jimmy." Come on mm. over, I got something for you. And it's like <laughs> such forced kind of character and bonhomie kind of bullshit. It feels so badly written and forced, I think that's the problem. And he's wearing his uh, sort of grubby dinosaur Hawaiian t-shirt, uh, yeah, and his fisherman hat. He does feel like a different character to even what was in Goldeneye, I think, Um just while we're talking about bit parts, um, I do want to talk a bit about Dr. Kaufman, because when I was re-watching the film, I did kind of think, I bet Sol and Alan, if they're going to like anything about this film, it's <laughs> it's this scene. Um, am I accurate? I mean, it's just out of place. doesn't oh. feel like it fits. I kind, of, I kind of liked it as a standalone thing, I suppose. But... Hmm. I think Vincent Chiavelli's great. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, this guy, I only knew him as the, the kind of maniac and ghost, which I watched very recently for the first time. And, I, I you know, he made a, a big impression on me out of that film to say he's only got, like, two scenes or something. And then he appears here all kind of done up like Gomez Adams, and it was sort of like, oh, that's the side of him. <laughs> yeah, I, it was a very Gomez look, yeah. A side of him I haven't seen. So, yeah, I mean, I... I I guess I enjoyed it, but it, it was very much like, uh, I'm bored of this film now, so... Oh god, we're only halfway through. Let's just get on with it. But it, it, none of it makes any sense. Why would you set that up, waiting for him to come in? Why not just sh- smash him in the face when he walks <laughs> in and then shoot him in the back of the head? Uh, and why... Okay, right, imagine this, right? You're a newsreader, <laughs> and Rupert Murdoch is your boss, or you're, you know, you're Rupert Murdoch equivalent. He calls you up. He says, I need you in the studio. You're like, oh my Christ, this, this is the big boss. He's calling. And he says, oh, I need you to read this news story. Don't worry, it's not going live. We're just, we're videotaping it. And you read the news story. And it's and it's about his wife being found dead in a hotel room. And then like 48 hours later, his wife turns up dead in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> is that not, is that, would you not question that at any point? I do wonder, like, because the, the, the whole point of this is like, oh, he gets tomorrow's headlines, he creates the headlines through all of his stuff. Like, someone somewhere, at, like, a printing press must, like, have some kind of suspicion. Like, it is quite remarkable that he can sink a British frigate and, t- you know, give specifics about how many people have been killed. With, but I, yeah. the thing is, I thought that as well. I thought, well, he's just giving it away, isn't he? Obviously, he's, he knows something. It's, it's like he's, he's giving away too much. But then they basically go, like, they see the newspaper and go, how did he know this? And then they're like, well, he's in on it. And that's pretty much like 20 minutes in. Yeah. So it's just like everything about this character, it's like, it's it's just shit at being a villain, eh? It's like everything he does goes wrong. He keeps <laughs> he keeps trying to get his Aryan, like, wunderkind to kill, ev- kill people and just never does it. <laughs> I That stamper is incompetent. <laughs> how many times does he say he's killed Bond? And hasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'd be pissed off about that. Um, I, I, I did do um a podcast recently on the James Bond and Friends podcast, and we did talk about the amount of times in Bond films where characters presume that Bond is dead, and I think this one had the most. <laughs> uh, because yeah, the, it, at the end, the ending action sequence, for about half an hour, they think they've killed him, and then they haven't, and then they think they've killed him, and then they haven't, and yeah. Stamper doesn't do a whole lot. But just connected to uh, the uh, Mr. Kaufman, is it? Dr. Kaufman? Yes. We also see that Stamper is his protege and is learning torture mm. techniques from him. And we see his little toolkit of cartoon torture devices. <laughs> <laughs> and it just feels like, who's writing this? Why is this happening? It's just so nonsense. I don't know what tone they were going for with this film. I I really struggled with that though. You know, I I said I made the note: is this a comedy at the start? I, this film is the most tonally all over the place James Bond has felt in a while for me, and mm. I, I think that is that they're just embracing having fun, but not enough for it to feel consistent. Maybe I I don't know. I think there is no character in this film. That's the problem. Like, they haven't written any characters. It's just dialogue. Villain, woman, Bond. You know, it's like there's no character to any of them. And that's why it just feels nothingy. Hmm. But the plot moves along fine. So it's like, okay, I understand what's happening. It's not that engaging. 
and you got the action set pieces, blah, blah, blah. So it works, but there's no depth to anything. And so mm. the writer's obviously just gone, well, let's just put some gags in and try and sort of glaze over this. It's like that's the, the plaster over the, the cracks, isn't it? You know, it's just, let's make it superficially entertaining. That'll work. Works for me. <laughs> I like the cartoony villain and the music and the action and stuff. I think it's good. So it's something we didn't mention earlier that Bond infiltrates Elliot Carver's launch party of his new global news network <laughs> and yes. manages to turn it off with one switch. Just switches it off. <laughs> uh, just like this is a global news network and he literally flicks one switch and they're like, we're off air and all the lights have gone out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pathetic, isn't it? It's just that's the sort of like at least make it a big switch. Like a big <laughs> you have to really like pull at. Um, sorry, another note. Why is Ricky J playing a character called Gupta? Obviously, oh, yes. supposed to be an Indian person. They <laughs> just thought, fuck it, Ricky J. That's close enough. He um, he. There were some deleted scenes with him. He had this whole like villain henchman thing with like flicking playing cards, cards. And, playing yeah, cards. That's we, what Ricky J. Does. That's all he does. Exactly. That's like why they hired him, and then they cut it all out. Like there's bits where he's like flinging playing cards, and it's like embedding in people, and uh, and now he has nothing to do. But why? Why would he have cards? He's like a computer guy, isn't he? Yes. And the MacGuffin of the whole film is this shitty little just a just a, a diode thing, isn't it? It's just a, a number. The decoder. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? Who are the props department? Who, who's the designer who could have come up with anything at all? It's like a decoder can look like anything you want. It's well, just total nonsense. Funny you oh, should bring up the churn this uh, out. Funny you should bring up the designer, the production designer, um, who has been with the Bond films for so long, Peter Lamont. He did not do this film because James Cameron asked him to go and do Titanic, for which he won his Oscar. So uh, yeah. <laughs> So he does a, a parachute jump to get to the ship because he's trying to f- see what happened to it, I guess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, in terms of like physical reality, the, he does a parachute jump. He, he opens the parachute and then cuts it away approximately two seconds later. Wouldn't have slowed him down at all. He would have just slammed into the ocean and died. <laughs> like, not even the slightest attempt to make that look real. And then what? He's got scuba diver gear attached to him as well. Is that yep. how it works? Okay. Yep. They jump off a building and oh, that this Carver's is my face to save them. My I final note. My final note. They didn't build anything close to the amount of momentum you'd need to get through that window. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Thank you. I, I was, made that note. I was furious. <laughs> like it would be hard to smash through a window at that height because they're reinforcing everything anyway. Yeah, and and they could. I don't know. They could have at least just had them jump a third time. Because it's like just twice. Make it they... look like they're jumping, like yeah, with more force. <laughs> just need... didn't Bond have a gun on him? I think he'd been taken off him at this point. It would have been better if one of the people in the side just. That's what I thought was going to happen. Because all these people are... just go. Oh, sorry, old chap, just passing through. <laughs> all these people are there, looking all concerned because they're dangling down by a window. And I thought, oh, one of those office workers is going to, like, pick up a chair and smash the window, or, like, open a window and yeah. reach out to them. But instead, it's this bullshit... I mean, it's like Die Hard, but bad. <laughs> I think he does the same thing in Die Hard, doesn't he? But he actually builds up 
significant momentum with a big heavy metal object. <laughs> yeah. Plus he sort of slams his bloodied foot against it and it's all streaky yeah. and it looks, and looks a lot better. And... Yeah, and that's it. When he comes through the other side of the glass window, he's all cut to fuck and you know, <laughs> doesn't just walk away like, oh, good thing that window was made out of fake glass. That was really handy. <laughs> what pun does he say after they come through the broken window? There must be a pun. Um, no, there Clear isn't. Clear Smashing. <laughs> they, they just dust each other off and then they, they run off down to find a motorbike to get on and drive off. We've shattered expectations. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's so, the, that's so the, uh, much for the glass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> that's the formula for Pierce Brosnan ones is that they don't quite ever make sense. They're always sort of in the right ballpark, but they're like... If you think about them for five seconds, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I, oh, another thing I thought that would have been fantastic if they'd only had the balls to do it. When he's handcuffed to her, and obviously they've got problems with all that, what if she'd been shot and killed, and then he has like 20 oh. minutes of dragging her corpse around? <laughs> <laughs> and like, having to work out, like, slinging her over his shoulder while he's trying to drive a motorbike and stuff. <laughs> that would have been comedy genius. <laughs> You're a bit of a dead weight, darling. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he wouldn't yeah. say that because it's Pierce Brosnan. He'd say something else. He'd go like, "A Rolling Stone <laughs> gathers no moss," and we'd be like, "What?" <laughs> but we like this whole motorbike chase, right? Like Alan, you were very positive well, about it. Earlier. I think it, I think they do a good job of making it interesting. Uh, whereas it is it ultimately it is just like, yeah, okay, here next thing we're driving through here is a smashy smashy. Mm. Yeah, I think my problem with third act Bond action scenes is that I just want the movie to be over at that point. They've already <laughs> lost me. They're not well, going to win me back. this is just sort of the, the end of Act 2, because uh, uh. Act 3 is all on the uh, the stealth boat, pretty much. We have some action with uh, Waylin in her own sort of little lab. Yeah, and then but the the ending is mainly on the stealth boat, and this is the stuff that I think people point to when they say this doesn't feel remotely Bondy. Like he's going around with machine guns, like mowing down henchmen. There's a lot of yeah. The set just doesn't look very Bond inspired. It's uh, more of a diehard sort of feel to it. Still, yeah. I like it. I can't really remember anything about the last bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a grenade in a jam jar. <laughs> yep. What? Then what? Rolls it, puts it back in the fridge, and then a, bit, a henchman walks in and with a bit of toast and picks up the jam jar. But then when they open the lid, but the lid won't open, and they have to run it under the tap to expand the glass, the the metal, so they can open the lid. And then they open it with like a towel, a, a, a tea towel wrapped around it, and it, look at it, and then it blows up. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. I think it might have been a deleted scene. And then Pierce Brosnan, of course, says, looks at the charred corpse of the man and says, like, You got yourself into a bit of a jam there. (laughs) (laughs) How does the bad guy die? What happened? Oh, he gets the drill. Uh, Bond activates the oh, uh, yeah. the massive CVAC drill that Jonathan Price doesn't realise is... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's this massive thing. It's like a hot yeah. air balloon full of women coming up behind him and <laughs> doesn't hear it. <laughs> yeah. And then, what does he say after he murders him? What's the thing? Um, What's oh, he the doesn't line? 
say anything. Oh, no, as he's about to be murdered, he says, um, you're forgetting the first rule of mass media, Elliot. Give the people what they want. And then he sort of, like, throws him into the... murders him. Yes. And then we have the secondary bit where there's there's still some sort of bomb rocket. There's a rocket going off. Mm. And he has a little fight with the henchman. So the henchman comes up with uh, Michelle Yeoh and is like, uh, don't, don't save the world or I'll kill her. Mm. And, and Bond's just like, yeah, I'm going to just carry on doing what I'm doing. <laughs> he, he, just, do, he really does, doesn't he? It's, like, it's like, mate, you have no stakes here. You have no <laughs> chips in the game here. You need mm. to just walk away. It's over. Yeah. Kills him. I do really like Michelle Yeoh. She gets like a lot of her own action moments in this film, and I think she's really good. I think she, well, I mean, obviously she's a great action star in her own right. She's, you know, carried films. Like what? Well, Hong Kong films and um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, that's I was hoping one. you wouldn't make me... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was hoping you wouldn't uh, get hung up on this. <laughs> I'm said, sure she's a You said films, star. plural, so give me a second one. Uh, right, okay. One sec. <laughs> He's just Hang looking on. in his mind. Action movies. <laughs> yes, Michelle Yeoh has carried, so she's the lead in. <laughs> We've got one on the table: Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Wing Chun. <laughs> uh, it's a yeah, film maybe. starring Michelle no Yeoh idea. and Donnie Yen. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, the review, the film review. Website Rotten Tomatoes ranked her <laughs> the greatest action heroine of all time in 2008. There you go. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes put like Lady Bird as the greatest film of all time a few years ago, if I remember. <laughs> so, I mean, I take everything they say with a pinch of salt. All right, name as a female action hero better than um, whoever we're talking about. Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> That's right. Sigourney Weaver. <sighs> Calvin. Your rebuttal, please. Uh, I have a hard time disagreeing with that, actually. Um, except, actually, uh, Linda no. Hamilton. Michelle Yeoh did most of her own stunts and fights. I don't believe that Sigourney Weaver did. I'd even let uh, Mila Jovovich have this, to be honest. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, Mila Jovovich. Yep, there Good we point. go. Fair yeah. Point, yeah. So the um, the romantic sort of subplot, obviously Bond of this time will always uh, finish the film with a girl, and here the uh, romantic uh, subplot is pretty much non-existent. I, there's no tension or real romantic chemistry between these two people, and he does only really have to kiss her because he what gives a mouth-to-mouth underwater so that she can breathe. Yeah, There's, there's um, never romantic chemistry between Bond and another... <laughs> Human being? <laughs> well, no, there I, was I, once. Remember, I noticed once, it. Once, maybe. I, it yeah, was so once. odd. And Timothy Dalton had <laughs> chemistry with someone. Right, right. <laughs> like, to be fair, maybe twice even it's happened. But he's not. It's not part of the formula. It's it's you know sexual tension. I think. Well, okay. And even that is okay, usually yes. between the characters and blatantly not between the actors, and they don't do a very good job of selling it. <laughs> but I think the, the the reason we haven't had that before and why we're, we we will get it with Daniel Craig uh, more often is because, you know, they've started writing uh, female characters and letting them have character instead of just being a kind of puppet there for him to 
you know, save or whatever. Hmm. So if you write the women characters better, then they can spark off each other a bit. And I think they're sort of hinting at it here. Imagine if they really were just puppets in these old films. If this was about James Bond having to save Alf. <laughs> bringing him a cat. <laughs> but yeah, they, 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 they're sort of leaning towards it now. Like this, it would be so easy to take this, what you've got here, give it to a real writer and, and put some, because there's chemistry, there's tension between them as in like they're, they're sparking and stuff. It would be so easy to make that sexual chemistry. And, you know, all mm. the stuff where they're having to climb on each other on the bike and stuff, it never quite plays at that, but you could so easily do it. In fact, it mm. made me think, like, what if this was a man? Like, if this, because it's, it's just, a you know, another agent that they come across. What if it was a guy and they got handcuffed together? Sean and then Bean. Had to, like, what if it was to, Sean like, yeah. Bean? Yeah, what if it was Sean Bean, like, and they were awkwardly, like, hugging each other on the bike? <laughs> it wouldn't play, would it? It wouldn't play yeah. at the Bond core. <laughs> or an unattractive woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, so yeah, the film sort of ends with them uh, having awkward sex on a raft uh, as the thing is blown up, um, or they're making out at least. Yeah, um, just not, not for, out of nowhere, and it? it's pointless. Yeah, but that is it. That is the end of the film. Oh, and in loving memory of oh yes, Albert R. Cubby Broccoli. <laughs> did you all catch the dedication? No. What did it, what did it say? It, it it, says, oh, I'm in heaven or something. <laughs> in loving memory of Albert R. Cubby Broccoli, like there isn't even a like. If you heard the end title song, you must have seen that dedication. It starts the credits. Uh, I, I I turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Conclusions. Um, I I have a great time with this one. It's one of my favourite sort of just put on and enjoy Bond films. Watched it recently. I think it breezes by. It's just under two hours. It's great fun, great soundtrack. Um, I'm a really big fan of this one. So it's an eight. I think I would... I kind of agree with a lot you've said there, apart from the kind of positive intonation you put on it. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it just breezes by. It's sort of nothingy, um, and I think it's very clear that no one had any kind of artistic drive about this. <laughs> it's just let's crap this out. Have we got a script? Not yet. We're crapping it out. Hang on a sec. Has we got a good director? Well, I can say action and cut. Is that good enough? Yeah. It's just nobody cares, and I think that really shows. And it's sad. I understand it's a business, but. You want something behind it. Having said that, you know, it, it, it functions. I gave it six. Hmm. I take real issue with both of you saying it breezes by. <laughs> In the sense that you barely notice it. Well, no, because for two hours, that's... Just got this to get through. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's probably in the better half of Bond movies so far. It's not, not a high bar, though, is it? Not very. Yeah, it's not a particularly offensive one. Like it is relatively watchable by the standards of James Bond so far, but that is quite a low bar. And I mean, it's a significant step down from Goldeneye, which yeah. I also wasn't impressed by. It's messy. It's all over the place. It's not bringing enough new. Well, there's nothing new being brought to the table here, really, um, other than. Perhaps a bit of CGI in the opening title sequences. I don't know, it's just boring. Like, it was not the worst, but far from the best. I, I give it 5 out of 10. 
Hmm. Fair. What What's the next one? The next one is The World Is Not Enough, which is one of my very favourites. I, I was going to say, is that one regarded as an improvement? Uh, <laughs> in, in, in some circles it is. I, I think it it's more of a, it's more of a proper film, I'll say. Well, let me ask you a question, Sol. Imagine you're a Bond writer and you've realised that the phrase Christmas comes once a year has the potential for sort of cheeky innuendo. Yeah. How, what sort of, you know, organic way would you put get that into a script <laughs> that made sense and wasn't <laughs> horribly forced? I'd probably do a James Bond Christmas movie. I don't think we've seen Bond at Christmas yet. <laughs> I think we'd open on Christmas we? Day. We'd open on Christmas Day and he's in bed with a woman, but she's got like a Santa hat on. <laughs> and he, he wakes up and there's like a nibbles gone out of the uh, mince pie and someone's had a <laughs> sip of the brandy. And then he he sees it and he slaps the woman because she like she let a glass of brandy out to the air and it's you know ruined the it's not been preserved overnight and it was expensive stuff. And anyway, then he he bangs her and he he just says, "Christmas comes once a year or something." Because it's Pierce Brosnan, so it, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to kind of vaguely have the right. It's, it's like he's jamming the wrong jigsaw piece into. Like it's the right jigsaw, but it do- that piece doesn't go there. But he knows it's the right piece, so he's just ramming it in there, like forcefully. Well, is that, is that not how they do it? It's close. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say we have seen Bond at Christmas before. It was Christmas in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Was it? Yes. What did Bond? Blofeld's decorating a Christmas tree. Did Q leave him a little present in his stocking? No, they do just sort of gloss over the fact that it's Christmas. Do you see? Do you see Blofeld's cat like running up the tree, <laughs> trying to rip all the baubles off? What and about it's like, get down? What about Mr. Fluffykins? Get off the tree! <laughs> what about a Bond film where Bond has to fill in for Santa, and Q gives him a gadget that'll let him go around the world visiting five billion homes in one night, dispensing gadgets. Hmm. <laughs> Calvin's noise, like he's <laughs> seriously considering that. <laughs> I was just thinking about, like, oh yeah, what if it was like a sack that you could fit more in than <laughs> what it looks like you could? I mean, there's definitely yeah. see Pierce Brosnan would love that. He, he would just <laughs> like, say, oh, my he sack. would just yeah, he just say, you can fit more in the sack than you'd think, and that's it. But it sounds rude, and that's fine. <laughs> Oh dear, we're nearly we're nearly there. We're nearly into the allegedly good Bond films. I'm getting really excited to actually not. You know you're going to be disappointed. <sighs> yeah, don't get your hopes up. Well, people, I don't know. Casino Royale's meant to be legitimately good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But you probably won't like it. Golden Eye's meant to be legitimately good. Well, you know, Golden Eye was okay. Just you know, just Bond movies that are okay. That's <laughs> that's a huge that, improvement. That's impassable. <laughs> Entertainment. <laughs> That's all we want. Thank you for listening, everyone. And yes, next week, 
Next week we're doing something a bit different. Uh, it was chosen by a listener. Yes, we, we, we ran a competition on our Patreon to pitch us an episode. Alan and myself have deliberated and, and chosen the one we think is the most interesting topic for us to cover. Mm. I think it is the longest film we will have ever covered on the podcast. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I, and yeah. I think significantly yeah. so. We've done The Godfather. I think this is a solid half hour at least longer than that. <laughs> so What film is it? It's a secret film. Yeah. Oh, okay. Alan, oh, you can I'll have Alan, to Alan tell him, but week. then in the edit, bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're doing we're doing <gasps> Oh god. Oof. So, next week, 